Amen. All right. Well, let me start off by asking this. Who is warm tonight? If you Raise your hand if you're hot. Okay. Raise your hand if you're cold. Cold. All right. Raise your hand if you're lukewarm. Lukewarm. I knew, I knew it. I knew it, Evan. And uh, no, I've, uh, I've had my eye on Evan for a while now. All right. If we can get the air going, that would be great. I'd appreciate it. 2 Samuel 23. Look down at verse number 1. 2 Samuel 23, verse 1. We're going to deal tonight with this idea of David's mighty men. And I'll tell you right now, we're not going to get through the whole chapter, all right? So we're going to go about halfway, and we'll do David's Mighty Men, part one, and next week we'll do David's Mighty Men, part two. Uh, but I looked down at verse number one. I want you to notice what the Bible says. It says, now these be the last words of David. These be the last words of David, the son of Jesse. The, the son of Jesse said, and the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel said. Now, I want you to notice that if you remember, as we've been going through the second part, or the last part of this, of this book, we've been talking about the fact that these chapters are not in chronological order. And here, it's not the last chapter, but the Bible tells us these are the last words of David. And it doesn't mean these are the last words that he spoke, but this is kind of the last um, uh, uh, speech that he gave, or the last talk that he gave, you know, the last uh, things that, that he said that were important. And he goes through, and he says many things, and we're not going to deal with a lot of those uh, beginning verses tonight. We're actually going to start in verse 8. Because what he does is he then uh, begins to tell us about these mighty men. Because see, uh, David had these mighty men, and we'll talk about it next week, uh, where these mighty men began and how they started to follow him. But he talks about these men. The, the, the term mighty men in the Bible is just a reference to a warrior. If you reference that, uh, those words throughout Scripture, you'll find it's just a soldier, it's a warrior. But these were more than just warriors. These were great warriors, uh, so, uh, David had a huge army, huge military, but these men that are named here, they're special. They're his mighty men. They're the ones that were the most sold out to him. If you look at verse 8, notice what the Bible says, 2 Samuel 23 and verse 8. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had, the Tachmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains, the same as Adino, the Esnite. He lift up his spear against 800 who he slew at one time. Now keep your place here in 2 Samuel 23, and I want you to go with me to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number 6, uh, just as we begin uh, tonight, because I want you to understand something. David lived a life of physical warfare. He was a warrior who was leading warriors, and though tonight you and I are not in physical battle, we are in a spiritual warfare and in a spiritual fight. Second, uh, Ephesians chapter number 6, if you look at the passage there, when you get to Ephesians, keep your place there. Uh, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something. We're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. But notice what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Notice verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. And, of course, this is the passage that's well known as being the armor of God. And we're not going to go through all that. But I want you to notice, he says, put on the whole armor of God. And he gives us the armor in the next several verses. But he tells us, here's why you want to put the armor of God on, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. See, you and I are in spiritual warfare against the devil. And he says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Look at verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We are not in a physical combat fight. You know, that's why Verity Baptist Church, I'm not, I'm never going to get up here and say, let's all go get guns and let's start a militia. Look, that's not, that's not um, our place. I'm not saying there's not a place for that, but it's just not the spiritual warfare. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, the Bible says. The Bible tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. They are. Uh, so we're, we're not in a carnal battle. He says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Here's who we do wrestle against. Notice verse 12. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. See, you and I are not in a physical battle. We are in a spiritual battle. Keep your place there in Ephesians. We're going to come right back to it. Go back to 2 Samuel 23. Here's what I want you to notice. When we look at David's mighty men, we see some characteristics of these mighty men, and we see some things that these mighty men had, and though they had it for physical battle, you and I need to have it for spiritual battle. And I want to give you uh, tonight, I want to give you just five characteristics of David's mighty men. Like I said, we're not going to go through the entire uh, chapter tonight. We'll, we'll go to about verse 19, and then we'll deal with the rest of the chapter next week. But let me uh, begin 
by giving, well, let me just give you point number one for those of you taking notes. I'd, I'd encourage you to take notes if you're able to. If you don't have a child sitting on your lap, on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for sermon notes. And I'd like you to write these statements down. Number one, mighty men are willing to fight, though outnumbered. Mighty men are willing to fight, though outnumbered. Look down at verse number eight. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had, the Tachmanite that sat in the seat chief among the captains. The same is, notice this guy's name, Adino. Adino, the Esnite, now notice what he did. He lift up his spear against 800. One guy versus 800 whom he slew. And not, not only did he fight 800, I mean, just fighting 800 men would be enough. Even if you died, we'd say, man, that guy had guts. But not only did he fight 800, he killed 800. The Bible says, who he slew at one time. So here's what I want you to notice. What's the, what, what can we learn from this man? Adino, the Esnite. Here's what we can learn. A mighty man is one who is willing to fight, though outnumbered. Now, keep your place there in 2 Samuel 23, and go with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 13. 1 Samuel 13. Here's what I want you to understand. This is a common theme throughout the Bible. If you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, especially the Old Testament, when you have those stories of combat between the children of Israel and the Philistines, the children of Israel, and, and all the other uh, you know, uh, heathen nations that they were fighting, it's often the case that they are outnumbered. And you say, why is that? If you remember the story of Gideon, if you remember all the stories, here, here's why that is. Because Jesus said to us, he said, enter ye in at the straight gate. He said, wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. He said, but he says, look, the, the way of destruction, there are many that go that way. The way of destruction, there are many that follow that way. And if you're going to be on the side of God, if you're going to fight on the side of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to have to be willing to fight, to engage in a fight where you will be outnumbered. You just have to realize that. Sometimes people get afraid and they say, well, if I, if I become one of these, you know, radical Bible-believing Christians and I start fighting our society, and when we're saying fighting our society, again, we're not talking about taking arms. We're not talking about, you know, engaging in physical warfare, but it's a battle of what we believe. It's a battle of the mind. It's a battle of standing up for what's right and, 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 and not allowing evil and wickedness to creep into our homes and into our families and into our church. And people say, well, if I do that, we are outnumbered. I mean, it seems like there's more people on that side, whatever that side is, whether you're filing abortions, whether you're fighting the sodomite agenda, whether you're, whatever it is you're fighting, it seems like there's always more people. But listen, you've got to understand, that's how it's always been. God works through a small remnant all the time. First Samuel chapter 13, I'd like you to look at verse number five. There's a story in the Bible in the life of Jonathan, who was David's friend, who, who kind of illustrates this. And again, we could go to many passages to look at this. But we'll just look at one for you to be able to get the point. First Samuel 13 and verse 5, I want you to notice what the Bible says. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. Now I want you to notice how many Philistines came. 30,000 chariots. All right? Not 30,000 soldiers, 30,000 chariots. Now I'm assuming there's probably more than one soldier in each chariot. Probably at least two soldiers in each chariot. More than likely four soldiers in each chariot. But here we're told 30,000 chariots, notice, and 6,000 horsemen. And people, as the, that's just the chariots and the horsemen. Then you've got the, the, the troops on the ground, the ones that are just the, the foot soldiers that are just walking. Notice what it says. And people as the sand, which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from Beth-Avon. I want you to notice, that's how many Philistines there are. Now let's see how many people were on the side of God. You're there in chapter 13, go to chapter 14, look at verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse number 1. Notice what the Bible says, 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 1. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan the son of Saul said unto the young man that bear his armor. Notice what he says, notice what Jonathan says to his armor bearer. He says, come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison. We're talking about the Philistines that we just 
found out had 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen. People, they don't even give it to a number. They just say it's like the sand which is on the seashore in Malta. There's just, it's like they cover the entire uh, 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 landscape. We just see them like sand on the ground. And Jonathan says, hey, come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father, look at verse 2, and saw tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. Now notice what it says. And the people that were with him, that were with who? That were with Saul, who's supposed to be the king of Israel, who's supposed to be representing the, the people of God. Notice, the people that were with him were about 600 men. On one side, you got 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and men that is like the seashore. And on the other side, gathered around a little pomegranate tree, you've got King Saul and his 600 men. They were outnumbered. Things didn't look good. Look at verse 6. Skip down to verse 6. And Jonathan said to the young man that bears armor, Come, and let us go over into the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be, and I want you, next, next week when we're in part 2 of this chapter, we're going to talk about the armor bearers, so uh, we might come back to this story. But I want you to notice this, this armor bearer, because an armor bearer was, was just that. They weren't the fighter, they were the support. And our, the, Jonathan was the warrior. The armor bearer was there to help him carry his armor, carry his weapons for fighting. And, and, and Jonathan says, hey, let's go. Let's go to these uncircumcised. It, and, and look, look at verse 6 again. And Jonathan said to the young man that bears armor, come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. Now I want you to notice what Jonathan says. And there's so much truth in this. If you believe God, if you believe the, the Bible, if you believe that we serve the creator that created the heavens and the earth, here's what he says. He says, it may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord. Notice what he says. There is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Here's what he's saying. If God wants us to win the battle, God can do it with 600. God can do it with two. It doesn't matter. There's no restraint to God. He says we can fight the battle. And here's what I want you to understand. Today, people get scared. Today, people get afraid. They say, well, if we fight the battle, I mean, look, look. There's only like 120 of us. On a Sunday morning, maybe there's like 170 of us. Are we going to be able to fight the heathen of this world? Are we going to be able to fight, you know, the agenda of this world? I mean, it seems like we're completely outnumbered. But listen to me. Mighty men are always willing, and mighty women are always willing to take on the fight even though you're outnumbered. Because look, if the, God, if the Lord before us, if God before us, who can stand against us? I mean, if God, if God can beat Goliath with a little lad and a slingshot, he is not restrained. There is nothing that says God does not need numbers. God does not need strength. God just needs a man. God just needs a person, a woman that will stand up and say, I don't care how many they got on their side, I will fight. Amen. I will stand. I will go. He said, it may be. He said, it may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Look at verse 7. And his armor bearer said unto him, now, you got to like this guy. This is a good follower. This is, the type, this is the type of guy you want on your side. This is the kind of assistant you want to hire. Notice what he says. Do all that is in thine heart. Turn, behold, I am with thee according to thine heart. He said, he said if you want to do it, let's do it. He said, I'm, I'm with you. Let's go pick the fight. What a great follower. Look at verse 13. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet. They're, they're, they're going uphill to fight. I'm not going to develop the whole sermon. I preached the whole sermon on this before. But notice what he says. And his armor bearer after them. Notice what the Bible says. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. God allowed him to be able to go into the, and we don't read it, but if you, if you look at it, the Bible tells us that the way that the terrain they're fighting in, even though there's 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, they can only come to Jonathan a few at a time where he's engaging them. And as they're coming, I mean, Jonathan's just fighting them. They're falling, and his armor bearer is just coming behind and just, you know, finish them off. Yeah! You know, Jonathan is, is, is causing them to fall in the armor, and they go, and they don't kill 600,000, but they kill enough. They kill enough to get these Philistines scared, and they kill enough to get the men of Israel to, be, to quit being afraid. And now all of a sudden, there's more than 600 men that are willing to join the battle. Here's all I want you to understand, because we need mighty men. We need mighty men. We need mighty women. 
We need, we need men and people and, and, and women of God that will stand up to say and say, yes, I will engage in the spiritual warfare. Yes, I will fight against the devil and against the demons of this world. Yes, I will fight and engage in battle. But if you're going to be a mighty warrior for God, you have to be willing to do it outnumbered. You can't look at numbers and say, well, there's more of them. There's more of them. We talked about it on Sunday night when Elisha and his servant stood up and said, what are we going to do? There's more of them. And Elisha prayed that his eyes would be open. He said, there's actually more with us than there are with them. You just got to trust God. You just got to believe in God. Go back to 2 Samuel 23. We said, number one, mighty men are willing to fight, though outnumbered. But number two, I'd like you to notice the second characteristic we see here of mighty men. Look at verse 9. 2 Samuel 23, verse 9, notice what the Bible says. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. Now, you know Eleazar was a tough guy if his dad's name was Dodo. You know, that couldn't have been good in elementary school, you know what I mean? And, uh, and after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the uh, Hohite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle, the men of Israel were gone away. Now notice what he says. The men of Israel were gone away. The Philistines came. The men of Israel fled. They retreated. They were scared. And listen to me. Today, in 2017, Christians and Baptists, and even more than that, independent fundamental Baptists, are retreating from the battles that need to be fought against the world. They're afraid. They're scared. The men of Israel were gone away. Look at verse 10. He arose, Eleazar, he arose and smote the Philistines. I want you to notice what the Bible says. Until his hand was weary and his hand clave unto the sword and the Lord wrought a great victory that day and the people returned. Notice, the people returned after him only to spoil. So the Philistines show up and these are, all these stories didn't happen, you know, one Back to back. These are stories that David is telling us as an old man. He's saying, let me tell you about my mighty men, the men that followed me and the men that I fought with. And he's telling these stories of things that happened. And he says, there was this one time when Eleazar, everybody had gone away. All the men were scared. And Eleazar, he arose and, and, and he smote the Philistines until his hand was weary. And here's what I want you to notice what it says. And his hand clave unto the sword. This guy had a physical weapon, a sword, and he held it so tight and he fought with it so long that when the battle was done, he couldn't even let it go. The Bible says the hand claved to the sword. I mean, it's just his, his hand, it's like it was stuck in that because he, he'd held it so tight and it had been so long that he just could not let it go. Keep your place in 2 Samuel 23. Did you, uh, did you keep your place in Ephesians 6? Go back to Ephesians 6. Let's make the spiritual application today. What's the spiritual application? Ephesians 6.17. Ephesians 6.17, notice what the Bible says. Remember the, the armor of God? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Look at Ephesians 6.17. The, the, all of the armor of God, you'll notice, it, it's all defensive wear. It's stuff you put on to defend you. There's only, one, there's, there's only one, and you can make an argument that there's two, but there's only one piece of the, ar- the, the, the armor that is offensive, that is a weapon for the offense. Ephesians 6.17, notice what the Bible says, and take the helmet of salvation, defensive, and notice the sword. You see that? And the sword of the Spirit. What's the sword of Spirit? Are we in a physical warfare? No. Notice what he says. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. See, this man, Eleazar, had a physical sword, and he fought with it so long. He was so skillful with it, he used it for so long, that when the battle was done, he couldn't even let go of it. His hand claved to the sword. But you know what? You and I as spiritual warriors involved in a spiritual warfare need to learn to cleave to the sword of the word of God. We need to become so skillful with the Bible. We need to become so skillful with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that when the battle's done, we can't even let it down. We can't even let it go. That it would be said of us that our hand clave unto the spiritual sword, the Word of God. You're there in Ephesians. Go to the book of Hebrews. You're going to go past Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, all right? Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd uh, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. And let me say this while you turn to Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Let me, let me say this. We have an epidemic today of Christians who don't read their Bible. I mean, we, we've got a problem. There is a problem 
I'm not, I'm not talking about just Christianity in general. I'm talking about independent, fundamental, so-called Bible-believing Baptists. We've got a problem with Baptist people today who don't read their Bibles, who are not skillful with the Word. They are definitely not an Eleazar, the son of Dodo. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings tonight. I'm just trying to tell you, you know, the proof is that most of these people you've never even heard of. I mean, you walk up to the average Christian and say, who's Adino the Esnite? They're like, uh, isn't that the pet for Fred Flintstone? No, no, that's D- Dino. Who's Adino? You know, and it's like, I don't know. And look, I'm just telling you, there's a problem in our movement today. There's a problem in Christianity today. There's a problem in, in churches in general, but our type of churches that say that we're supposed to go back to the old past, that say that we're supposed to be fundamental, that say that we're supposed to fight and stick to the old ways, the, the traditions that were handed out to us by our forefathers, there's a problem with us. We have a lot of people that watch a whole lot of YouTube. They're on a whole lot of Facebook. They talk a lot about the things they know. They listen to a lot of preaching. They got a lot of MP3 files, but the problem is they don't read a lot of Bible. They just don't really know the Bible. They're just not really in the Bible. Are you there in Hebrews 5? Look at verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. Hebrews 5, verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the work. See, the way you use the word determines your maturity. Maturity, in the spiritual sense, is not determined by your age physically. It's determined by your relationship with the word. For everyone that uses milk... And here he's using the illustration of it as being food. He said, if you're drinking milk, you are unskillful in the word of righteousness. Why? For he is a babe. And look, it has to do with how much of it you consume. We have our our baby, Ruth Ann. She's three months old. She drinks milk. She's a baby. That's normal. She drinks a lot of milk. Uh, She's a pretty fat little baby. But, you know, but, but, but that's all she drinks is milk. I put a hamburger in front of her. She's not going to know what to do with it. She might drool all over it, but she's not going to be able to, to take that. But see, someone who's older and more mature, if you put a grown man on a consistent, you know, milk diet, they're going to die. You know, they, they need something with some substance. And here, notice what it says. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Look at verse 14. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of Full age, mature, even those who by reason of use have their, notice, even those who by reason of use, even those who by reason of use, see, eventually you start using it so much, you start using it so much, you start using it so much, you start using it so much in battle, winning battles, out soul winning, preaching the gospel, preaching the word of God, but eventually you use it so much that their senses exercise to discern, no, to discern, to discern both good and evil. It's amazing to me. How, look, I don't care how many YouTube videos you've listened to, how many sermons you've watched. It's amazing to me how clearly you can tell a Christian's maturity based on how many times they read the Bible. And here's what it is, because they can't even discern good and evil. I mean, like, last, like on, on Wednesday, I preached a sermon about some false accusations. And it's funny to me how I, I, talk to, I talk to guys who've read their Bible 10 times. I've talked to guys who've read their Bible 20 times. I've talked to people who read their Bible well over 20 times, I know for a fact. And I'm explaining the situation, and they're like, of course, absolutely. And then you talk to Mr. Read His Bible one time, or Mr. Read His Bible two times, and they're like, I don't really know. I don't really know what the right thing is. Yeah, here's the thing. When I try to explain things to my three-month-old daughter, she doesn't understand things either. You know why? She's a baby. She's not skillful in the Word. She's not able to discern both good and evil. Let me say this. Sometimes Pastor Jimenez makes certain decisions. Sometimes I take certain stands. And you may sit there and say, well, I don't really understand it. Well, you come back to me once you've read the Bible cover to cover ten times, you'll probably understand it. You come back to me once you've read the Bible over 20 times, and you'll probably understand where I'm coming from. But when you've only read it one time, when you've only read it two times, when you've only read it three times, and you want to sit here and say, well, I don't agree with Pastor Emmanuel. You're a baby. And you're the problem with the Christian movement today. We've got a bunch of babies that are trying to get in the fight. We've got a bunch of guys today. They want to go be pastors. They've read the Bible two times. You think we're going to win if we send a bunch of children off? What are we, Muslims putting bombs on babies and sending them off to war? We need mighty men. You say, how do I get there? Read the Bible. Become skillful in the word. 
figure out what the Bible says. Read it cover to cover, 10 times, 20 times, and then get in the fight. And then you may be able to discern both good and evil. And then you'll probably start realizing, oh, now I see why, Pastor. Yeah, now you see why, Pastor. Oh, now I get why those guys preach that. Yeah, now you get why those guys preach. See, you don't get that when you've only read the Bible three times. You haven't, you haven't developed that discernment. You don't get that when you've only read the Bible five times. You're getting there. You're getting closer, but you need to be better. We have a problem. We have a problem. Today, people want to boast and brag. I've listened to every sermon that Pastor Anderson has preached. I've listened to every sermon that Pastor Romero has preached. I've listened to every sermon that Pastor Hibana. Hey, have you, how many times have you read the book that God gave you? How many times have you read the book that God? And here's the thing. It's like, well, it's more exciting to listen to preaching. Yeah, I know, but that's why we're losing the battle. Because we've got a bunch of babies that want to be spoon-fed. See, mighty men are willing to fight, though outnumbered. Mighty men will cleave to the sword. They'll use it so much, they'll become so useful. It'll become so useful, they couldn't let it go if they wanted to. It's just like, man, I'm just, I, I, don't, I don't know how to preach any other way. I, I don't know how to lead any other way. This is, this is all I know. And it's just, there's so much Bible, you know, I, I've just fought this way so much. It's all I can do. Go back to 2 Samuel 23, look at verse 11. 2 Samuel 23, verse 11. 2 Samuel 23, verse 11. We need some warriors. Say, Pastor Man, why are you so mean? You go join the military. They're going to put you through something called boot camp. And they're not going to sit there and baby you. You know why? Because they're going to send you to battle. They're going to they're make you tough up. They're going to make you get tough. They're going to yell at you. I don't think you should yell. Okay, I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at, you know, I don't know, person sitting next to you, I guess. Look, here's all I'm saying is we need people that get back to the word of God. We need a revolution that gets back to the word of God. We need Christians who will cleave to the sword, who will read the Bible, who will become skillful in the word, who will get weaned off the milk. Say, well, how do I know when I've been weaned off the milk? It has to do with how often you use it. It has to do with how often you use it. How many times you've actually read through it. Number three, go to 2 Samuel 23, look at verse 11. 2 Samuel 23, verse 11. I said, number one, mighty men are willing to fight, though outnumbered. I said, number two, mighty men are, will cleave to the sword. Number three, mighty men, mighty men will stand their ground. Look at verse 11. 2 Samuel 23, verse 11. And after him was Shema, the son of Aji, the Harite, and the Philistines were gathered together into a troop, or it was a piece of ground full of lentils. I, I like this guy. And the people fled from the Philistines. I want you to get, get what's going on here. Philistines come into town with their big old army. And people start fleeing. They, they're leaving their homes. They're leaving their farmlands. They're leaving everything. And this guy, Shema, he says, honey, you sit tight. Get all the kids together and go into the bedroom. He grabs his weapons and he goes out and stands at, in the piece of ground full of lentils and he stands there as the oncoming troops are coming where was a piece of ground full of lentils and the people fled from the Philistines. Look at verse 12. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines and the Lord wrought a great victory. You know what mighty men do? They stand their ground. You know what mighty men do? They say, this is the land, this is the place, this is the belief system, this is the Bible, this is what God has given me and we're not going to back off. You want to fight? Bring it. You know what the problem today is? We've got preachers today that just want to back off of everything. That whole born that way ministry, you know, Pastor Manley preached about it while he was here. And if you don't know what that is, it's a new ministry that independent fundamental Baptists are bringing into their churches where they're teaching that these sodomites, they're not really reprobates, that God turned that way because of their filthy acts, because the fact that they rejected God, God turned them into these filthy reprobates. They'll say, no, 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 they're actually eunuchs, you know, that were born that way. Turns out they were right. They've been telling us all along they were born that way. I guess they were born that way after all. You're going to have to do a little ministry. And, I, and, and when I was in Vancouver, uh, not, la not last Sunday, but the Sunday before that, in the, in, in up there I, I was preaching about this born that way ministry. And I, saw, I was talking about the end game, like why did this thing, you know, why did they bring this movement, you know. And here's the thing. The end game for the sodomites, 
the end game for the sodomites is that this ministry basically provides for them, you know, the ability to be able to get access to children. And that's why in there, because in, my wife and I, we went on their website, and we were reading through different articles. And the, in the article, they have a, an article that says seven things you don't know about eunuchs. Now, keep in mind, they're not using the biblical definition of eunuch, all right? When they say eunuch, they mean, you know, seven things you don't know about a filthy animal, sodomite, homo. That's what they mean, all right? But in their, in their seven things you don't know about, you know, fags is what they really mean. Here, and the first thing they say is this. They say, number one, you can trust them. And then later on in the, pa- in, in the article, that what they say is this. They say, and by the way, they are excellent working with children. So, okay, so here's what happened. You got a bunch of homos that decided, hey, let's make up a ministry. Let's sell it to the Baptists. Well, we're going to tell them, go out and find all these filthy animals. Bring them in church. You can trust them. They're excellent with your children. Okay, so we get that. That's the end game for the homos. They, they just want a ministry that's going to enable pedophiles. Right? That's going to allow pedophiles to come into church and get access to children. I, I get that. Here's the next question. What's the end game for the Baptists that are going along with it? Why, why are men like Bob Gray going along with this ministry? Why are you know, churches and independent fundamental Baptists all throughout the country going along with this ministry? And I'll tell you, I believe I know the reason why. We know why the Sodomites are doing it. They just want access to kids. We get that. But why are independent fundamental Baptists, I believe they're saved, you know. Uh, why are they going along with it? Here's why they're going along with it. Because these fundamental Baptists have found themselves in a situation where they're basically between a rock and a hard place. See, men, you know, people like me and, and, and preachers like the ones that, that are in our types of churches have made it difficult for them. Because we come out and we preach hard against the homos and we're all over the news and we're all over the internet. And now they've got to make a decision, right? Do we let them in or not? And see, the problem is for years and years and years and years and years, for decades, they've stood up and preached, these people are filthy, they're queer, they're reprobate, they're this or that. But see, they don't want to take that stand anymore. They don't want to take that stand anymore because that stand is no longer popular. See, back when Ronald Reagan was president, you know, back when people were more conservative, yeah, it, you know, it was, they, it was more popular. It's not popular anymore. So here's why they're embracing Born That Way, because it allows them to basically quit preaching against the homos, but then they can say, like, well, it's because they're actually, look, the Bible actually, it gives them an, a, the opportunity to save face, because they can say, well, the Bible says, and I didn't know, they're actually eunuchs, and so, you know, that's why we're not preaching hard against them anymore. Here's what they're doing. They say, here's, here's the ground, here's the ground, the, the little lentil field we have, we're going to back off. We don't want to fight that battle anymore. We're not going to fight against the homos anymore. We, we were fighting with them back when the Republicans were fighting with us, back when all, most Americans agreed, you know, because we basically just put our fingers in the air and figure out which way the wind is blowing, and that's how we decide where we stand and what we preach. But now that nobody, like it, nobody likes that preaching anymore, and you can't build a church off of that, now we want to back up. But we can't say we're compromisers. We can't say we're cowards. We can't say we're backslidden. So we're just going to say... Uh, they were born that way after all. See, it, allow, it allows them to back up. But listen to me. Mighty men will stand their ground. Mighty men mighty will say, I don't care what society says. I don't care what people think. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible has always said. And they're going to defend that land. They're going to stand in the midst of that ground and say, we're not moving. Listen to me. At Verity Baptist Church, we're not moving. If you, if you think, well, you know, Pastor Manny, he's a little uptight. He, he'll kind of, you know, he'll soften on that as he gets older. Look, we're not moving on that. Amen. These filthy homos are not allowed at Verity Baptist Church ever. Amen. We're never bringing them in. Amen. We're never bringing these pedophiles in. We're not letting them be with our children. They're not welcome. And we're not backing up on that. If anything, we're getting stronger on it. Amen. We're just going to fight that battle. You say, well, what if nobody fights that battle with you? Well, here's the thing. I'm not that worried about being outnumbered. Point number one. I don't really care what you think about it. We believe this, and we were preaching this before you got here, and we'll preach it when you leave. See, you know what a mighty man does? He says, this is a field that God gave me. I'm not backing up. This is a stand that God gave me. This is the book that God gave me. This is the belief that God gave me. I understand it's going that way. I understand people don't get it. I understand people don't like it. I don't really care what they like. We're going to defend. See, a mighty man will stand their ground. But here's what weak men will do. Here's what cowards will do. They'll say, I need, I need someone. Please, someone, someone come up with a ministry that allows me to back up 
and yet save face. No, why don't you just say, I, look, I used to preach it when everybody agreed with me, but because I'm a respecter of persons, because I love money, because I just want to be popular, right. I'm changing my position. Why don't you say that? Why don't people just say what's actually going on in their lives and their hearts? Why do, they have to, why do they feel like they got to come up with all these, no, well, actually, turns out. And look, you study this thing of eunuchs in the Bible. It's not Sodomites. It's pretty, pretty clear in Scripture what a eunuch is. If you need help with that, I don't know. Ask somebody else. Look at verse 4. Or look at verse 13. 2 Samuel 23, look at verse 13. Let me give you the fourth one. 2 Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel 23, look at verse 13. 2 Samuel 23, look at verse 13. And three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time unto the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephaim. And David was in the hold. And the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. So this is back when David was running. He was, being, he was running for his life. He was running. Saul was after him. He was in the hold. And notice what he says. Look at verse 15. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the waters of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. Now, I want you to understand, David was not ordering anybody to do this. He was not commanding anybody to do this. He was just, you know, it's like these military guys when they're deployed for four months or six months, you know. They're like, oh, it'd be so nice to just go home and have some of my wife's good cooking, you know, or have my mom's good cooking. You know, it'd be so cool, you know, to go to In-N-Out Burger, you know, when you're in Iraq. You know what I mean? And that's basically what he's doing. He's like, he's in the hole, he's fighting, and he's just saying, man, you know, wouldn't it be great? Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. Look at verse 16. And the three mighty men, and the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David Please, now that's just one verse, but please understand what's going on here. They go down into enemy territory. There's three of them. They literally break through. I mean, the Bible says they break through the host of the Philistines. I don't think they walked up to them and said, excuse me, I just was going to get some water. I mean, these guys are fighting and killing. I'm envisioning they're just fighting away. They finally get to this well. Two of them are still fighting. Two of them are still killing. Well, one of them's, you know, Dropping the bucket in the well and getting water. Got it, got it, let's go. And they head out. I mean, could you imagine the debrief after that attack with the Philistines? What did they come in here for? Uh, I think they just wanted some water. <laughs> Are you sure? You know, did they poison the water? No, it looks fine. Why would they, why would they come and attack us like this? You know, why would they? I, I don't know. They just, they just wanted some water. I guess they were thirsty. You know, these guys, because they heard David say, oh, that one would give me water from the well of Bethlehem. And look at verse 16. And the three mighty men break through the host of Philistines and drew the water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof. He poured it out unto the Lord. Now, David's not being rude here. What, he, what he's doing, he's, doing a, 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 he's pouring it out as an offering to the Lord. And he's basically saying, because he says in verse 17, And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that were in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, would, he would not drink of it. These things did these three mighty men. He said, these guys jeopardized their lives to get this water. This water is more precious. It's worth more than for me to drink it. So he says, God, you can have it. And he pours it out as an offering to the Lord. And you say, well, what's going on here? Because David did not command them to go get water. He just said, man, I wish I could have some water. And these guys go out there and do that. You say, what are they doing? Well, go, go to 2 Kings chapter number 3, and let me explain this to you. You're in 2 Samuel. You're going to go past 1 Kings, past 2 Kings. And it's not complicated. I just want you to see 2 Kings 3. Look at verse 11. Let me just say this. Mighty men will show great respect for their leader. Mighty men will show great respect for their leader. David did not command them to get water. David was just talking. He was just out loud saying, wow, wouldn't it be great to get some water from the well of Bethlehem? And these three guys just look at each other like, let's go. And they just break through the host. They risk their own lives. Why? Just to honor, just to respect, just to love their leader. Say, why would they do that? Here's why. Every great leader was once a great follower. Every great leader was once a great follower. You want to see it in the Bible? 2 Kings 3, look at verse 11. But Jehoshaphat said, 
Is there not here a prophet of the Lord? Is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? Let me talk to you young guys that want to be pastors one day. Isn't this what you want said of you one day? Is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the kings of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, Elisha, the great man of God. Elisha that had the double portion of the spirit from Elijah. Elisha who did twice as many miracles as Elijah. Elisha who had the power of God upon his life, who did a wonderful work in his life. They said, he, the question is, isn't there a prophet that we can inquire of the Lord? And they said, here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat. But notice what they say about him. Which poured water on the hands of Elijah. You know what they're saying about him? This is what they're saying. Before Elisha was this great prophet, he was just serving the prophet. Before Elisha was this powerful, mighty man of God, he was walking around Elijah saying, can I get you some water? Can I pour water on your hands? You're getting ready to eat, sir? Can I pour water on your hands so your hands will be clean when you eat? That's what Elisha was doing. Before he became the great, powerful leader who he was, you know what, he, you know what every great leader is before they're a great leader? They're a great follower. These guys, they, they said, you know what? One day we want to be like David. So let's serve David. Let's respect David. Let's love David. Let, he didn't ask us to get him water, but let's just do it anyway, just to make him happy. Go to Exodus 24, look at verse 13. Exodus 24, look at verse 13. Exodus 24, verse 13. Shouldn't be hard to find. Genesis, Exodus. Exodus 24, second book in the Bible. Look at verse 13. Exodus 24, verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. And Moses rose up. Remember Moses, great man. Gave us most, the, the, the first five books of the Bible. Mightily used of God, brought the Egyptian nation to their knees, delivered the children of Israel out of bondage. And Moses rose up, and his minister, Joshua. And I remember Joshua took over for Moses. Joshua did what Moses was not able to do. Joshua went into the promised land and conquered the land. Joshua brought down the great walls of Jericho. Joshua was the one that fought those great battles. He's a great military leader of the children of Israel that brought them into victory into the promised land. But you know what Joshua was doing before he was that? Look at verse 13, Exodus 24, 13. And Moses rose up and his minister, Joshua. You know what a minister is? It's a servant. He was serving Moses. He was ministering to Moses. You want some water, Moses? Let me get you some water. What do you need, Moses? Let me help you. I'm just here to serve you. I'm just here to serve you. And eventually, he was such a great follower to Moses that God said, make that guy in charge. Put that guy in charge. Let him be the leader. Elisha was such a great follower to Elijah that eventually God said, put that guy in charge. Let's give that guy a double portion of his spirit. And here's what I need you to understand. Every great leader was once a great follower. Please listen to me. You guys that are in that spiritual leadership class, you want to be pastors supposedly? We'll see. You want to lead a church one day, and you want to have thousands of views on YouTube. You want to preach all the hard sermons and have the protest. Listen to me. Listen to me very carefully. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You want to be a pastor one day? You, be, you better be very careful how you treat this pastor. Because you're going to reap what you sow. Your wife wants to be a pastor's wife one day? Better be very careful how you treat your pastor's wife. How much you love her or don't love her. How much you respect him or don't respect him. How much you criticize him or don't criticize him. Because you will reap what you sow. And you always sow more than you reap. And you sit here and have a bad attitude towards your pastor or your pastor's wife. All you're doing is one day you're going to have a bunch of followers that do the same thing for you. Because you know what? Every great leader was once a great follower. And if you want to get in a little time machine and go find Pastor Jimenez you know, seven years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago, you know what you find? You find a man and you find his wife. You find a young couple in a church who was at Tuesday night soul winning, who was at Saturday soul winning, who was showing up to church at 6 a.m., running the largest bus route in his church, leaving at 3, coming back at 5 for choir, just serving, just ministering. The pastor was wrong on all sorts of things. The pastor was wrong on all sorts of doctrines, never criticized him, never spoke against him. And even when we had to leave the church because they went into repent of your sins, we never spoke one ill word of that man. One time we had to leave a church because they went to repent of your sins. We had a church member follow us to the next church. A lady followed us, and she wanted to get all the juicy details. And, and we just said, look, we're not, we're not going to talk bad about the pastor. So you know what? I will get up. 
And I will expect that people have the same respect for me because that's what we did for others. And you want to be a pastor one day? You want to be a pastor's wife one day? You better be careful how you treat your pastor. Say, well, I don't like you. Okay, then go somewhere else. But make sure you treat that guy right because you'll reap what you sow. Because every great leader was once a great follower. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And listen to me very carefully. You know, you say, well, I don't want to be a pastor. Okay, then you just treat me however you want. I don't really care. But you guys that want to be pastors, you better be careful how you treat your pastor. You will reap what you sow. You're going to be calling me one day, I got all these church members, and they're all mad at me, and none of them are siding with me. Reap what you sow. I got all these church people, they're all criticizing me. Reap what you sow. Every great leader was a great follower. Number five, go to 2 Samuel 23. You see, you know, you guys act like you like hard preaching. You know, everybody likes hard preaching as long as it's against the homos. Everybody likes hard preaching as long as you're preaching against the pedophiles. I start stepping on your toes all of a sudden. Well, I don't know how much we actually like hard preaching. 2 Samuel 23, look at verse 18. Hey, Pastor, why do you do this? It's therapy for me. 2 Samuel 23, verse 18. I'm not, I'm not mad at you. It's just hot. 2 Samuel 23, like verse 18. Notice what the Bible says. And Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was chief among three. Now, I want you to notice what happens here. We just learned about three mighty warriors, right? Adino, Eleazar, Shamar. Okay, those were the first three. Now we're going to talk about Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah. He was chief among three, but I want you to notice. He was chief among three, but not the first three. And he lifted up his spear against 300 and slew them. That's pretty impressive. Lifting up the spear against 300 is pretty good, but it doesn't beat 800. Right? It, do, it doesn't beat 800. And slew them and had the name among three. But notice what verse 19 says. Was he not most honorable of three? Therefore, was he was their captain. Howbeit, notice, howbeit he attained not unto the first three. Okay, so the first three were up here as far as what they did, their influence, their impact they had. This guy, he's pretty good. In fact, he's, he's in the next three. And of those three, he's the top dog, but he didn't attain to these three. He didn't attain to these three. You say, what, what, is, what is the Bible trying to teach us here? Go to Mark 14. Matthew, Mark, Mark 14, look at verse 3. Mark 14, look at verse 3. Matthew, Mark, Mark 14, 3. What can we learn from this? Here's what we can learn. Number five, mighty men will do what they can. Mighty men will do what they can and leave it with God. Mighty men will do what they can. So what are you talking about? Mark 14, look at verse 3. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was at me. There came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment and spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. So she, she does this great offering for the Lord. And they're murmuring against her. Notice what Jesus said, verse 6. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always. And whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. Look at verse 8. You ought to underline this phrase in your Bible if you don't mind writing your Bible. Verse 8. She hath done what? She could. That's what we should all strive for Jesus to say of us. They did what they could. They gave it their best. She had done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burial. See, this guy, Abishai, he did the best he could. And here's the thing. Unfortunately, he didn't make it to the top three. But that was okay because he just did the best he could. You know what a mighty man does? He does the best they can. Listen to me. You, you young guys that want to be pastors one day, you want to be preachers one day, don't go in the ministry trying to be like Pastor Jimenez or Pastor Anderson or Pastor Romero or Pastor whoever. Well, I need to have as many YouTube. No, you don't. I don't need. No, we just do your best. Just do what you can. Just fight the battles. as best, and, and you know, you say, well, I want to be the top dog. Look, just don't worry about that. The Bible says that they comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. And today you've got a bunch of 18-year-olds on YouTube that haven't read their Bible cover to cover any times, but they want to get on there and make all these shocking videos. Why? Because I want to be a top dog. No, why don't you just read the Bible? 
Why don't you go get a wife? Why don't you go lead a family for a little while? Why don't you mature a little bit? I'm just saying, you know what a mighty man does? He says, I'm going to fight. I'm going to do the best I can with the resources God has given me, with the talents God has given me, and wherever it lands, as long as I can say, I've done my best. Pastor Matters, can, can you preach better sermon? I'm preaching the best I can. Can you lead a better man? I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying to get better every day. And that's all I can do, and that's all you can do. And some people are going to do great things, and some people are going to do less. Some people have 10 talents. Some people have five talents. Some people have one talent. Just do the best you can. A mighty man doesn't worry about, well, am I in the three? Am I in this? You know, Abishai, you know what? He just fought. He killed 300, and that was good enough. He did the best. He could. See, a mighty man is willing to fight, though he's outnumbered. A mighty man will cleave to the sword. A mighty man will stand their ground. A mighty man will show great respect for their leader. And a mighty man will do whatever they can do. And just leave the rest to God. And just say, you know what? I've done my best. She had done what she could. That's a great statement. I would love to be able to get to heaven one day and have Jesus say, you know that Roger Jimenez guy? He did the best he could. He had done what he could. And that ought to be your goal. You don't want to get to heaven and say, you know, God says, you know, you did, you were giving it a 50% there. Now, look, I don't know that, and you don't know that. Well, let me say this. You do know that about yourself, and I know that about myself. I don't know that about you, and you don't know that about me, but God knows that about all of us. And God knows if you're just kind of half-hearted. God just knows if you're just kind of half-trying. God knows if you're kind of giving it 50%. Or God knows like this young woman when he said she has done what she could. She did the best she could. She wasn't a Peter. She wasn't a Paul. She, was, she just did the best with what she had. And that's what a mighty man does. They do the best they can. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Lord, I pray that Verity Baptist Church would raise up some mighty men. Lord, I do pray that we would raise up some mighty women. Lord, I, I pray that we'd raise up some mighty warriors who would not sit and cry and be babies, Lord, that would stand up and say, let me get in this Bible. Let me get in the Word. Let me stand outnumbered. Let me fight some great battles. Let me do the best that I can for God. Lord, I pray you would help me to give you the small amount I've got to give you. And that every person in this room would say, Lord, I can't, I can't give you what other people can give you, but I can give you what I have. Lord, I pray you'd raise some mighty men, some mighty women, some mighty warriors that would engage in the spiritual fight that we find ourselves in today. To not give up more land, to not give up more on doctrines, Lord, to just stand up and let God do a great work. We love you, Father. In your precious name, I pray. Amen.